Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Research shows that our very state of being can be transformed by music that resonates in our soul so powerfully that we can't help but join in. This is the vision of joy to the world as the reverberating phrase urges us to repeat the sounding joy of the good news of love. The prophet Isaiah offers a vision of radical love, the wolf and the lamb living together and being led by an innocent child. Can we lift our voices to joyfully and confidently proclaim this chorus of well-being for the world? A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord He won't judge by appearances, nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out, and his dwelling will be glorious. And then we hear from John the Baptist that the reverberations of love and joy in the world start with the change in our own hearts toward the reign of God's love. Listen for the gospel reading. In those days... John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. 
I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Be sweet. In the South, this is a phrase that we find ourselves saying repeatedly. Particularly parents say it to their children. I find that particularly Southern girls grow up taught to be sweet. I come from a long line of Southern women on both sides of my family, women who have passed down sweetness from generation to generation. You're familiar with the scenario, I'm sure. A mother watches her daughter board the school bus and be sweet, she yells after her as she gets on the bus. Or a grandmother sees her granddaughter playing with a little puppy. She says, sugar pie, be sweet now. A dad sends his 10-year-old daughter off to a sleepover at a friend's house for the first time, and the last words out of his mouth are, honey, now be sweet. Boys, too, right, are taught to be Southern gentlemen. They're told from an early age to open up doors for friends and strangers alike, to respect elders, to treat people with kindness and respect, to say, sir and ma'am and please and thank you. Sweetness is in the soil of our southern sensibilities. Now, that doesn't also mean there's not some passive aggressiveness, am I right? But it's all dripped in sweetness nonetheless. We call on the sweet, sweet name of Jesus to help us in our times of trouble. Hymns invoke his sweetness. We expect not only our children to be sweet, but we also want our gospel to be sweet. For the good news of Jesus Christ to drip with sweet-tasting milk and honey, to smell like sweet lilies of the valley and dew on roses, we expect kindness and mercy and grace and forgiveness to sweeten the sound of the gospel. We especially want the sweetness during the Advent season when we wait and prepare for a sweet, innocent baby to be born into the world in a manger for his sweet mother to peer down at him with loving eyes. Our theme today is loving joy. We come into church during this season wanting love and joy, maybe even a sweet escape from all of the difficulties that life seems to throw our way. So we come in here, we sit in our seats, Mary Lane gets up to read the gospel, And if you're anything like me, what she said is a bit painful to the ears. It's anything but sweet. It's more sour and salty and stale. John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near.
So we come into church and we're yelled at as brood of vipers. There's a reason that we don't put John the Baptist on the front of our Christmas cards, angrily shaking a stick at us. Can you imagine? Merry Christmas, Aunt Susan. Repent and flee from the wrath to come. I look forward to eating your pecan pie. It's not sweet. It doesn't feel like Christmas. Now, John is quite the character, a woolly wilderness preacher. As we said last week, that kind of strange and funky uncle that shows up sometimes at dinner. He wears horse hair. He subsists on a diet of locusts and honey. As my kids would say, yuck, we don't eat bugs. But John the Baptist does. He didn't preach in synagogues. He didn't lead small groups in people's homes. He goes out to the edges of society, to the wilderness, away from the halls and the trappings of power. The wilderness is the place that the world names desolate. But it's also the place that God redeems. It's where Moses leads people out of slavery into the wilderness, to the promised land. We find John proclaiming there a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. One way that we prepare for the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ, is repentance. Now, oftentimes, repentance can get a bad rap. The church has often taught us that repentance either means you confess what you've done wrong, God forgives you, you're absolved, you're free to go out and do it again, easy peasy, or Repentance is tied up with a feeling of constant guilt and shame that we're always wrong, that we're always doing the wrong thing, and it becomes this tool of shame in our lives. But repentance is so much more than either of those things. The word repent actually means turn around. Turn around. It's a radical shifting of what we know. It's an individual act of turning around the way that we see towards the way that God sees, but it also becomes a communal act. How do we, as followers of Christ, turn around how we live out our lives in the world and turn towards where God is calling us to go? John is urgently and passionately shifting of power and understanding. John is urgently and passionately sharing the good news that when our Messiah comes, when God takes on flesh, the rough places will be smooth and the crooked places will be made straight. It's this vision that is coming, he says, from Isaiah, where peace will reign, the wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. This is a vision of a great evening out, those that the world imbues with power and money and status will be brought low. Those who live in the wilderness and have no earthly power or wealth or status, they'll be brought high, and God's peace will reign. John the Baptist may not be very sweet, but he has more faithfulness in his pinky finger than I can ever hope to have in my lifetime. He chooses to go and to live on the margins, to exist in the wilderness, away from all those trappings of power. And in the midst of that, he is one of the people that God chooses to prepare us, to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. And John is angry. He's angry that the world as it is is not the world as it should be. 
God's vision of peace and justice and mercy and hope and love and joy because too many were being exploited, too many were suffering and made to feel hopeless. He's angry that the religious and political leaders of the day were consumed more with their own power than God's power. He's angry that faithful people who claim to love God sometimes get caught up in ego and exploitation and power, pushing folks out to the margins. They needed repentance. They needed a great turning. We need repentance. We need a great turning. We need during Advent to put away a little bit of that sweetness and channel a little bit of John's anger. Now, I have to admit, I'm not very comfortable with anger, especially the kind that involves yelling and commotion, disrupting the peace that makes me uncomfortable. I'd much prefer to be sweet in any given situation. I'm a Southerner and a Methodist, after all. I would much rather smile and go to a committee meeting uh, than stand up here and shake my fist at you and call you names. Now, sweetness has its place. There's value and kindness and treating others with respect. I think, though, sometimes we, I, can choose sweetness as a default so that I don't have to upset the status quo. Sometimes it's just easier to be nice than to risk speaking the truth, especially the truth about God's justice and love, because that truth doesn't always make us popular. It might mean confronting somebody else. Sometimes sweetness can just be cowardly. St. Augustine of, of Hippo, the great saint of the church, said this. He says, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. I love this quote. I'm going to say it again. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger Encourage, anger at the way things are, encourage to see that they do not remain that way. We get angry only when we can channel it to make a difference in our lives and in the world. Sometimes I'm afraid we, I, equate love with sweetness, but real love often requires us to speak the truth in love, to say the difficult and uncomfortable thing, to see the world in a way that makes us uncomfortable. And that's what we find John the Baptist doing here on the second Sunday of Advent. He has the courage to name that the way that the world is is not the way that the world should be. It's not the way that God wants it to be. It's not that great vision from Isaiah. Jesus is coming, John says, to turn around the ways of the world. He didn't come to encourage us to be sweet. He came to turn around entire ways and systems of being. To make that kind of change, to really prepare for the, hung, for the coming of Christ, anger and courage are part of that story. They're part of the ingredients of God's love. Real love, real hope, real joy— it's about living into God's vision of the world. When John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, the one Isaiah is talking about is about to come, he means turn around, turn around, and know that good news is here. In Advent, the world is turning. We don't have to do this turning on our own. God does it. We've got to see it 
and participate in it. And we've got these great stories of Advent to be our guides. John's mother, Elizabeth, is another fascinating character that we meet during Advent. She and her husband, Zachariah, had longed for a child for years. They had tried and tried. And finally, when well, one day when Elizabeth and Zachariah are old, that's what the Bible says, their precise designation, when they're old, the angel Gabriel visits them and says, you, Zachariah and Elizabeth, will bear a child. He will be a joy and a delight, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Elizabeth was somebody who lived on the margins with her own grief for never having a child she so desperately wanted. She was exiled by a society who deemed a woman's worth synonymous with whether she gave birth. She lived in her own wilderness of wondering and waiting, shame and grief, disgraced by her village. And she is one of the people that God chooses to prepare us and the world for the coming of Christ. The world is turning. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're not supposed to have favorites, but if I had a favorite biblical character, I think it would be Mary. We're going to dive more into her story next week. But you know, Mary is often portrayed as demure with her head down and her eyes closed, kind of a beatific look on her face. But I think that if I were to paint a picture of Mary, and there are some pictures out there like this, I would have her with her arms up in a position of strength, eyes looking straight at you, unafraid of whatever the world is going to bring her way. Because she had every reason to be afraid. She's a teenager when the angel comes to her. She's unmarried. She lives in poverty. She's from Nazareth, a town that the rest of the region regarded as trash. She had no money, no power, no husband. And God chooses Mary to carry Jesus into this beautiful and broken world, to be the very mother of God. When she receives this good and no doubt astonishing news, she sings a song saying, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. In other words... The world is turning. I know we're still in Advent. We're still waiting and preparing, but spoiler alert, at the end of this, Jesus will be born. And he'll be born to an unwed teenage mother in a barn, not in a fancy birthing unit or a warm home with a prepared pool, not even in a room in an inn. Jesus was born among donkeys and sheep and cows and mice and all of their attendant noises and smells. It is easy to have a beatific view of that holy night with sweet animals sleeping or cooing softly, but it was probably pretty gross and uncomfortable. I expected God to birth, choose to have their baby, certainly not the place anybody expected God to burst into this world. It was not a sweet saccharine night. And yet God comes. The world is turning. And that very night, while the Messiah is sleeping next to the mice, an angel comes to the shepherds. Shepherds who live out in the wilderness, on the outskirts of town, high up on a hill away from the halls of power, while everybody else was being counted by a census for the Roman government so that they could be taxed, 
The shepherds weren't even invited. They didn't have enough even to be counted to be a value or worth to the Roman government. They were nobodies who just slept next to their sheep every night of their lives. And yet, when God is born into the world, the angel comes to the shepherds. And then more and more angels come until there is a whole host saying, you shepherds, to you this day is born a savior in the city of David. Go and see. You are invited to come meet God in the flesh. They're the first witnesses to the Messiah. The world is turning. Of course, shortly after his birth, Jesus and his parents have to flee Bethlehem for Egypt because Herod the king has ordered the death of all baby boys. Mary and Joseph and Jesus become refugees, strangers in a strange land. They are fleeing violence. These refugee parents are who God chooses to carry that baby Messiah through the world. The world is turning. Advent calls us out into the wilderness to recognize all those Advent characters who are with us and around us today, women who are shamed by what their bodies can and cannot do, men whose work is undervalued and overlooked, people who do not smell or dress or eat like we do, those who have left their homes, everything they know to offer life and life abundant to their children, It is here in the wilderness, in the midst of anger and of courage and of hope, that we prepare for Jesus, the one who turns the world upside down. Real love, real joy, real hope, they're not saccharine. The love and joy and hope that Jesus brings is earth-shattering. It's a radical turning of the world, turning violence into peace, hunger into a feast, swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, outsiders into insiders and strangers into friends. He is the one who makes justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, who brings a world where the wolf will lie down with the lamb and a little child shall lead them. This Advent, the world is turning towards love. Thanks be to God. Amen. When you go out this morning, go with this blessing. Leave this place ready to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. May we turn around our lives and our world to see as God sees. May the peace of Christ go with us. Go forth with his love. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.